Julie at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 121 of Dogcast Radio. In this show, we have advice from Judy Rentrop for a listener's problem. When you have a dog who's been through such an ordeal like this, you have to build up his confidence. And one of the best ways to build up a dog's confidence is just doing obedience training or trick training, for that matter. Plus, we have the Dogcast Radio News and a review of a new training book, Good Dog, by Sarah Whitehead. And some useful products from Adicare. But before all that, we have an interview with dog trainer Kat Hughes about the vital matter of socialising your puppy. Apparently, the first thing to know is that there is something called a critical socialisation period. I'll leave it to Kat to explain what that is. Okay, so it certainly is a bit of a mouthful. Um, It's not a very catchy phrase at all, but it is something that is really, really important. It's that time that um, your puppy experiences when they're between the ages of around three weeks and 12 weeks, when their development means that they are very, very susceptible to new experiences. Anything that happens to them Mm. will have an impact on how they view the world in the future. So if they have positive experiences, then that will help them to be more relaxed. If they have negative experiences, things that worry them, then it could make them more anxious in the future. And if they don't have many experiences, so if they come from quite a barren environment, then it means that they might be phased by things that they encounter in the future. So this three to 12 week period, roughly, is absolutely important. And that's why I suppose it's called the critical socialization period. Yeah, yeah. So um, I guess there's, there's something of an urgency then about sort of what we need to do at this time. And of course, one of the difficulties is, you know, sometimes we, we are, I mean, with my puppies, I'm just thinking I've had them vaccinated at eight and 10 weeks, and then you don't really get to take them out and about till they're 12 weeks. So how can we get around that? Yes, that's absolutely right, actually. And it is a very short period of time, as you say. You may get your puppy when he's seven or eight weeks old. Um, and then you really have only got until about between sort of up to 12 and 16 weeks. It varies a bit by breed and mm. personality. So, yes, you've got this short window of time. And the vets will often tell you, for obvious reasons, that you can't take them out because you need to keep them safe from infectious diseases so the way that you can get over that is uh, a couple of things you can do the first is that you can encourage people to come and visit your puppy in the house so as long as they haven't touched any dogs recently that might be carrying any diseases and they take their shoes off because you don't want them to walk anything into the house and you know that they're reliable you can let them come over, meet the puppy. Um, a colleague of mine has puppy and pizza parties, which is a great idea. Anything like that's brilliant for the puppies. If, for example, you are a woman and your puppy isn't going to meet many men, then that's the perfect time to ask your male friends to come over, have a slice of pizza, meet the puppy. Equally, if you don't have any children, then getting some children who are quite quiet and gentle to come over and meet your puppy at your house is ideal 
And the other thing you can do is to carry your puppy outside in your arms because as long as they're not walking on any soiled floors or mixing with any dogs that might have infectious diseases, then they are safe. Yeah. And that just helps you get over that period when the vaccination hasn't quite kicked in yet. Mm-hmm. So it sounds to me like an ideal opportunity, to, you know, an excuse for a party, as you say, with people that are reliable with dogs, not a, not a mad loud party, but sort of have some no, friends. No, you right? don't want any of your hooligans coming over, really, <laughs> no. if you can help it. No. But, I mean, the other thing is, if when you set foot outside the house with a puppy, um, whether you're carrying it or when it's old enough to walk on the floor, you know, you... you Everything takes twice the time because people stop you and say, oh, can I say hello to the puppy? And, it, you know, it's great socialisation for the dog, but you don't get anything done. No, that's so true. And walks take much, much longer. Um, you can often be the most popular person in the neighbourhood all of a yes. sudden because everybody knows you have a puppy. And so you'll get lots of knocks on the door because everyone wants to meet the puppy. Mm. And it can get a little bit frustrating, but it's really brilliant for the dog. Yeah. So it's definitely worth putting up with. Yes, yeah, definitely. Um, we, we, uh, I, I did that with my Labrador, but then with, with our, our Bichon as well. Um, for her, because we expected her to be a very ladylike little dog that wouldn't keep up with the Labrador, and she put us straight about that very quickly. But Oh, we, yes, I yes. can imagine. Well, we had um, a stroller for her, you know, a pushchair. And um, because we thought, when she's tired out, she can go in that. Well, she doesn't get tired out, so that, you know, we d- that sort of went by the, be- the the wayside very quickly. But when she was little, that was great because we could take her out with us. And then if she was tired or anything, she, when she was little, she could get into the, the stroller and just have a rest. Um, mm. And again, when she was very tiny, we could take her out. She was protected. She wasn't, you know, be- coming into contact with any infections. And that worked really well. Yes, and it would have probably given her a sense of security as well, because yeah. the, the big wide world is really frightening to a puppy. Yeah. Um, up to about 12 weeks, they do have a natural curiosity, and they're fairly brave, but then as soon as you hit that 12-week mark, they do start becoming more cautious, because obviously it's good for an adult dog to be cautious in order to keep themselves safe. So that's when you start seeing that coming in. So, yes, yeah, something like the the method that you used is perfect because you can expose your puppy to the world in a way that's safe. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so obviously some of this, as you say, it's it's a big wide world with lots of smells and sounds and experiences they've never had before. So how what do we need to do to make sure that our puppy is happy with what we're doing? Okay, so I've put together actually some top tips that will help people who are just about to socialize their puppy or Mm -hmm. in the middle of doing it because it can seem like a really daunting task Um, all trainers and behaviorists will say how important it is and it feels like a big weight of responsibility so um, I've just put these together and hopefully that will help people get onto the right track because Mm -hmm. it's really easy all you have to do is just get out there and do it really um, for this short period of time so it is really important to make sure that the puppy's happy and enjoying themselves because, as we mentioned earlier, any experiences will be imprinted on them. So if they're negative experiences, they also will have an effect. Um, so I've got a few ideas as to what people can try. Okay. The first is to not keep your puppy hidden away. Um, we're talking about the fact that you may not be able to take her outside straight away because of not being old enough and you know, not having 
vaccination status. Mm. Um, so it's really good to just invite those people in, make sure that she meets lots of people and um, very well-known behaviourists like Gwen Bailey um, will say that you really should try and get your puppy to meet up to 100 people before they're five months old. Wow. And that is a challenge, but it's absolutely the right thing to do. So um, that would be when having your puppy parties in your house would be ideal. You can tick a few people off the list that way. Mm. Um, The other option, again, is to take take her out and carry her around so she can see things that isn't coming into contact with germs. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And the other um, thing that you really want to do through all of this socialization period is just to make sure that your puppy is happy and not overwhelmed Mm -hmm. because there's no point frightening her and making her want to avoid situations rather than sort of um, approach them and explore them yeah so the way to do that is really just to look at their body language um there are some obvious things really Cowering or backing away is an obvious sign. Everybody can probably recognise that. If the puppy's tail's between her legs and she's cowering or shivering or trying to pull away, then that's a fairly good indication that she's either feeling frightened or overwhelmed by things. Mm. Um, But some less common things that you can look for, less well-known really, are yawning and licking lips. Um, people obviously, obviously might think that their puppy's tired when they're yawning, yeah. and that's a possibility. But it also could be that she's trying to diffuse the situation and release some of the tension. And that, again, is a sign that she's maybe not feeling so happy. Yeah. yeah. It's the same I, for licking lips. Yeah. I do think it's important um, to learn something about dog body language. And, and you've mentioned yeah. Gwen Bailey, and actually I interviewed Gwen Bailey years ago um and and she actually really educated me because i was telling her how my dog when he my labrador when he was little would get on the passenger seat in the car and when Mm -hmm. i said get down he would turn his head away and i was interpreting that as he's pretending he can't see me you know yes it looks like that yeah yeah and she was saying you know, you're stressing him, he's, he's saying, I'm stressed and I'm looking away. And it was so, that was one of the key things, I think, that sort of opened this door for me. And I thought, I, I need to know more. I really want to know more about what, what si- you know, what signs is he giving me? What's he saying yeah. to me? And I'm just missing it. And once you start learning, it's fascinating, but it's well worth doing. It is. And it's interesting that you should mention that example, because that is another very um, sure indication that your puppy might be feeling overwhelmed is by avoiding the gaze of someone Mm. or by turning their head away from the thing that they find scary. So, yes, that's absolutely what was going on in that situation by the (laughs) sound of it. It's just a way of, again, trying to diffuse the tension. And because Mm. if you think in human terms, when... um, you walk up to a person, if you stare very intently, that can be quite threatening and and quite uncomfortable. And Mm. it can be the same for puppies. So if you find they're looking away, trying to avoid your gaze, then it might be an indication that they feel a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great, excellent. So so what else can we do, Kat? Okay, so when you're thinking about what you want to expose your puppy to, there are literally hundreds of situations and people often forget that noises are something that your puppy needs to encounter. 
um, it's very easy to expose them to noises. I mean, you can take them to a quiet road so they get the idea that traffic is something that they don't need to be frightened of and then gradually build up to roads that are busier. Mm. Um, but a great way to do it is to get onto the internet uh, with the invention of these websites that allow you to watch videos online. It means that now you can go into the internet, type in fireworks video and get a recording right in your living room mm. and that's perfect you can start it at low volume and then gradually increase the volume as your puppy gets used to hearing it and that means that when fireworks night rolls around your puppy will probably absolutely be calm and contented and probably ignore the noises because they've always been there yeah so yeah. you can do that for lots of things, thunderstorms, fireworks, as I mentioned, traffic, particularly lorries, they're very noisy. Yes, yeah. The list is endless, really, but it's just important to remember, especially with breeds that are very noise-sensitive. So a collie would be a good example of that. Extra yeah. care needed with them. Yes. <laughs> Thinking back to when Buddy was a puppy, he hated it when lorries or buses passed us on the road. Yeah. And he, that took quite a while, and, and you forget that, you know, once your dog's sort of grown out of it. But yes, he, that took a while of sort of saying, you know, good dog, good dog, and just reassuring him before he was like, okay, that's, I'll accept that. Yeah, and it's a great idea to feed a little treat as well, if possible, so that the puppy isn't just coping, but is actually even enjoying himself. Yeah. Um, so it's about turning the experience into something that was neutral, hopefully, definitely not something that's negative, into something that actually is positive. Um, and so if you can bend down and feed a treat or you're in a situation where you're able to play a little game with their favourite toy, then that really makes a strong positive association with the thing that they once would have found scary. Um, and yes, lorries and buses are a great example of that. They are very frightening when you're barely a foot tall. Yes. Yeah, because it's not just the noise, there's a big whoosh of wind as it goes past, and it's like, yes. what on earth is that? And it does, it even frightens me when I'm walking along the road and a massive articulated lorry comes past. Yeah. So it's absolutely understandable that a, a tiny puppy would be frightened. Yes, yeah. Oh. Now, I know you're a big fan of puppy parties, aren't you? I am, actually, yes, and this is included in the top tips that are going to be on the website. Um, it's really good to get people's help if you think that you might struggle to expose your puppy to lots and lots of different things then there are people out there who can help and one of those groups of people are anywhere that offers puppy parties or sometimes called play groups um, they're for puppies who are maybe not quite old enough to go to puppy classes they're sort of a way of being slowly introduced into a class environment uh, they're normally held in vets in vet practices hmm. and they're often run by vet nurses um, and some like the ones that we run are obviously run by the vet nurse and then we come in as puppy trainers to give specialist advice on training and socializing and that kind of thing and they're brilliant if run well um, so anything that looks chaotic is probably not a good place to go yeah. um, but if they're run nice and calmly and any play that happens between the puppies is managed very carefully so that personalities are matched and the play sessions are kept short then that's a brilliant way for puppies to socialize with other humans 
and with other dogs mm. and also to start making another positive association with the vet practice. Because as you know, they probably smell quite strong and the puppies will have already been in for injections. Mm. So it's good to start overwriting any negative feelings they might have about coming to the vets. Yeah, yeah. It, it, does, it really does help because I remember the first time we went with Buddy because he, he was a sweet little puppy um, and the nurse said oh can I just take him and show him the others and she wandered oh. off with him and he said hello to everybody and he yeah. fell asleep in her arms and he was you know so laid back and when we go to, to any vets now I don't know whether they all have a similar smell um, but he just can't wait to get in and sort of get his paws on the reception counter and say hello and who's there and who can I meet this time he's so funny that's fantastic. I think um, it's very rare to be dragged into the yes. vet by a puppy. <laughs> much, much more common to be dragged out at high speed. Yeah. Um, so yes, and it just shows just your one or two visits when your puppy was tiny, how much of an impact it would have had on him. Yeah. So it really, yeah. really does help as long as they run well. And, yes. Uh, it is important that puppies aren't allowed to play roughly or to be bullied. Um, so it's really important if things look chaotic to intervene and make sure your puppy's okay. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But as you say, if it, hopefully if the vet nurse is, is running it and particularly if there's trainers like yourself there, those are things to look for, are they, to, to indicate this is going to be a well-run puppy uh, party? Yes. Um, vet nurses can sometimes have opted um, to do extra kind of training in behaviour and mm. body language and socialization so they often will know exactly what to do to make sure that the classes run smoothly and that the puppies are all well looked after and encouraged to be polite and often actually you'll find that some of my colleagues who are other trainers working around the UK will also be veterinary nurses Mm -hmm. so that's an ideal scenario if you can find someone Um, but equally if you can um, go to a playgroup or Um, puppy party that does have a puppy trainer there then you increase the chances of it being well run and you can really just go with your instinct as well if you can see a puppy cowering in the corner and the other puppies being a little bit boisterous then that's really a sign that you would notice even as an owner Mm. that maybe things need to be calmed down so it's about trusting your instinct I think yeah yeah. Now you mentioned the vet there and sort of, you know, it, it can be very easy because when you take the dog in, you know, as you say, they're having vaccinations or something and they can become anxious. So how can you make sure that your puppy has the best experience of the vet and expectation when you take them to the vet? OK, so you can um, call the vet in advance or maybe pop in and see them and just explain that you really want to get your puppy off to a good start. And normally the vets and vet nurses are really happy to, to help you with your socialisation and training. So it's a good idea to just let them know that you'll want to bring some treats in with you. So when your puppy goes into the consulting room, have a small handful of your smelliest, tastiest <laughs> treats. Biscuits probably won't cut it, so you'll yeah. need some bits of sausage or something similar and uh, just hold them on the puppy's nose while he's being examined and that helps to keep the puppy still for a start that's really helpful Mm -hmm. and just posting one in occasionally popping (laughs) it into his mouth will really help him to realize that actually there's nothing wrong everything's fine and being handled by this person who 
looks and smells different to mum is actually okay. Mm. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Um, okay, now, when you're trying to socialise your puppy, you're trying to keep them sort of calm and, and um, happy with everything, and it can get quite stressful for you. So yeah. what should people bear in mind, you know, when they're going through this this time? Well, really, the, the fact that you're interested in socialising them and that you want to do well is absolutely brilliant in itself. So the motivation and the intention's there, and that's brilliant. So really, it's not to worry and not to get stressed about it, because it's actually really easy to socialise. It's just about being really careful and gentle and not overwhelming puppies, and just making sure that for that very short amount of time, probably I would say up to when the puppies are years, a year old, so that you know that the experiences are going to stay with them for life, is just to really keep it nice and relaxed. And I would say, probably to sum up in one sentence, that successful socialisation is about quantity, but it's also about quality of experiences. Mm -hmm. So if you think quantity and quality, as many experiences as you can without overwhelming the puppy, but they all have to be really positive. And if you do think, this isn't turning out the way I'd hoped, and maybe things might get out of hand, it's absolutely fine just to move the puppy away and try another day. It's not a problem. It's much better for you to stay relaxed, yeah. and then things will turn out okay in the end. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that that's really key, isn't it? Because you get stressed, and then the puppy yeah. gets stressed, and it, it's a vicious circle. So, yeah. It's, it is. Yeah, definitely. Kat, those are brilliant tips. Thanks ever so much for that. We're going to put a copy of your 10 top tips on the Dogcast, uh, Dogcast radio site. Um, but where can people find out more about you? Okay, if they want to find out more about us and what we offer, um, mm -hmm. I'm from a company called Puppy Professionals. It's very easy to find us on the internet. You can either Google us or you can go to www.puppyprofessionals.co.uk. Excellent advice there on how to give your puppy the best start in life. And we have links to Cat's Puppy Professionals website and her Twitter feed on the Dogcast Radio site, where you can also find her top 10 puppy socialising tips in full. It's unlikely that your dog will pass on any illnesses to you through its saliva, because many of the bacteria it contains are specific to canines and won't harm you. listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. Good Dog by Sarah Whitehead is subtitled The Easy Way to Train Your Dog. And I have to say this book is incredibly easy to use with step-by-step -step instructions, lots of photos to illustrate the points being made and even troubleshooting advice for when problems occur. Sarah states that training should be about clever strategy, not bullish tactics, and I absolutely agree. Very early on, she debunks the dominance myth and points out that to motivate your dog, you need to keep the rewards coming. After all, as she says, who would work for no salary? In the first chapter, she gives some very sound advice and also highlights the fact that your relationship and bond with your dog are a vital aspect of training. The second chapter is titled How Dogs Learn and has some hugely important insights. I like the fact that Sarah makes clear that sometimes what we interpret as a reward can be more of a punishment to a dog. For example, not many dogs actually like being patted on the head. 
The point is also effectively made that dogs, just like us, can learn that their behaviour can result in consequences. However, that consequence may be just that the treat is withheld rather than given. But it's a valid point and reminds me of an article I read recently by the chairman of the Association of Pet Behaviour Counsellors, David Ryan. Rather than leaping straight into the training, there is then a chapter on factors affecting learning. And I think that's a great idea. For example, a dog who is unwell or stressed will not make a good pupil. The training exercises for basic training are dealt with clearly and progression is built in well. And personally, I like the way clicker training is incorporated. The inclusion of the settle down command is something that allows both dogs and owners a chance to relax. And walking nicely on a lead is covered too. Sarah shows how basic training can be developed and built on to teach behaviour like touching a target. And I think there are great ideas in this book to keep your dog active and happy. If you're at the start of your journey with your dog, this book will help you. And if you're looking to brush up your training methods or extend your dog's repertoire of behaviours, it's well worth a look too. The best thing about the book is that alongside effective positive training methods, Sarah keeps at the forefront the handler-dog relationship and the well-being of the dog. To find out more about Sarah Whitehead, visit www.cleverdogcompany.com and you can buy Good Dog via Amazon.co.uk. Addicare sent me some of their products to try out and review and the one that's been a hit with everyone in our house has been the antibacterial anti-odour dog bed. Both dogs have tried it out and at least two of our cats have made it into the bedroom and been discovered comfortably fast asleep on the bed. The filling has stood up to all this use very well and the bed is as fluffed up as the day it arrived. But what about the smell? Well, in the name of research, I have been down on my knees several times pressing my nose into the Addicare bed and the other beds we have. And I have to say, I can definitely tell the difference. I do wash our dog's bedding regularly, but even so, our other dog beds have a much stronger doggy odour than the Addicare one. I love the fact that the antibacterial qualities of the bed reduce bacteria by 99.9%, and anything that helps our dogs be happier and healthier is good news to me. I've also been trying out the grooming wipes, which are antibacterial and antiviral, and were perfect when we had to deal with a dog who had just rolled in something stinky that another selfish dog owner had failed to scoop up. We were able to clean the dog up enough to be allowed back in the car to travel home, and they're also handy if you have a dog that tends to tread in anything disgusting. The range also has a surface cleaner and a dog shampoo and other products to keep both your dog and your house clean. To find out more, go to addicare.co.uk or send a tweet to at Addicare. According to Stanley Corrin, PhD, gifted dog breeds have the same ability to understand spoken words as a two-year-old child. An average dog can comprehend 150 words, while the brighter breeds can learn as many as 250. We were contacted by Dogcast Radio listener Kelly about a problem with her dog, Charlie. I have two dogs, a Westie named Harrison and a German Shepherd Lab Mix named Charlie. I got Harrison as a puppy and my husband and I adopted Charlie from an animal shelter. Once we got Charlie, it quickly became apparent that he had been abused. He cowered at fly swatters, papers and just about anything that was round and could hit him. It also became very clear after we got Charlie 
that he had been burned by cigarettes. He had lots of cigarette burns all over his body. Um, and even to this day, Charlie now has a fear of smokers. Over time, Charlie has gotten to be a much more confident dog. We're all very happy, and we love Charlie very much. But recently, he started to show some bad behaviors. He started chewing up a lot of books and other random papers around the house. We try and keep him out of the room where we have our books. But sometimes we forget to close our office doors and Charlie does get in there. And when he does that, he picks up books and starts chewing them. He also sometimes chews furniture. And one memorable occasion, he chewed a case to the iPod. Now, I admit that sometimes I get very mad at him for doing this sort of behavior. He had done it quite a bit, and I tried to discipline him all the ways I knew how, telling him he was a bad puppy, and giving him a little smack on the nose, and rolling him over into submissive postures, but none of that worked. And one night, when I found the littered bits of one of my favorite books, little tiny shreds of paper all over the bedroom floor. I got very mad and I smacked him. I gave him a little smack on his bum. Now I had done this to Harrison when he was a puppy as well, when he had, particularly when he chewed a piece of furniture that I had made myself and Harrison didn't like it, but his reaction was nowhere near as, I suppose, traumatized as Charlie was. When I gave Charlie a little smack, he uh, cowered and put his tail between his legs and started shaking all over and was very traumatized. And I know I shouldn't have done it, um, but I was at my wit's end. I don't know how to discipline my rescue dog, who has clearly been abused. And if you have any suggestions or could help me, I would very greatly appreciate it. Thank you. To get some advice for Kelly, I turned to experienced trainer and rescuer Judy Rentrop. This struck me as a really sad problem because she's taken in a rescue dog. They've, they've actually sort of rescued this dog. It wasn't even in a shelter, was it? And um, it's obviously had a... He, Charlie, has obviously had a dreadful start. And Kelly loves him, but she's having these problems with him, you know, um, biting books and furniture. And... It really touched me when she's. I'm, I'm at my wits' end, and it strikes me that she doesn't. And and I've. I must admit, I've had times like this when you know you stand there and you think, how can I communicate what I want to communicate to this dog? Well, the number one thing you have to think about is that when you're communicating with the dog, number one, we we would have to let him know immediately that he displeased us. I can't walk into a room and find um, that he's uh, made a mess or torn something up, a beloved item, and tell him that he's done something wrong because he won't have a clue what he's done wrong. Yes, yeah. And so so, he, he won't connect that telling off with something he's right. done in the past. We, yeah. we really have about three to five seconds mm. to either reinforce behavior or correct behavior. And anything past that time, the dog just won't get it. 
Yeah. And sometimes we're lucky and we get a, a dog who, um, for whatever reason, maybe they were corrected for a behavior and it worked. Maybe they did the behavior an hour ago and they just, it worked. But how do we know it really worked? Mm. Maybe the dog just never felt like doing that again. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's very difficult to say that, um, Oh, I I rubbed my dog's nose in his his uh, urine, and he never peed there again. But maybe it did work, but maybe he just didn't want to pee there again. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when you're doing you're using corrections, you have to get them um, right away, immediate. Yeah. And here's the thing with with punishment type corrections. When you're using a punishment, that punishment has to be so swift and so severe that the, that the dog's not willing to take a chance on it again. Mm-hmm. And so severe to one dog might not be anything to the next. Yes. You have different characters, different personalities. Some dogs are very soft and you just say no and they cower and they say, well, I'll never do that again. Please forgive me. Mm-hmm. And the other dog says, oh, <laughs> I just don't want to listen to you. I'll do it again if I feel like it. <laughs> yes. You know, and so with that, t- and I'm, I'm not the type of a trainer who's willing to um, dish out that kind of punishment that's so severe, my dog's not willing to do the behavior again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just, um, I'm not. Mm. Um, it, it breaks my heart to do that. Yes. So yeah. what, what you have to think about more than disciplining and uh, teaching him, I guess, teaching him not to eat books. Yes. <laughs> because that's, that's what poor Charlie's main crime was, chewing books, I think. Yeah. And yeah. he seems to be a soft dog with, her, with Kelly's description of him. He's yes. been through quite an ordeal. Has and yeah. when you have a dog who's been through such an ordeal like this, you have to build up his confidence. And one of the best ways to build up a dog's confidence is just doing obedience training or trick training, for that matter. Hmm. And when a dog says, now I know how to communicate with my human, I understand what they're asking me to do. Yeah. You see a light bulb go off. Now, we're not, we're not teaching the dog how to think or how to learn, because he obviously he can do that. But what we're teaching him is how to communicate Mm-hmm. Okay, and when he learns he can communicate and he can get things right, he yes. can get the right answer, and you're happy about it, now we're building up his confidence, and we're going to make him more secure. Yes. And we have to give him uh, things to do. So I would be changing the way I fed my dog. If he was fed in a bowl, I wouldn't be feeding him in a bowl anymore. He would get his daily rations by learning to do obedience or tricks, mm-hmm. or I'd put them in a food puzzle or a, a Kong toy, uh, some sort of a, a food dispensing puzzle. Mm. Um, they make so many on the market. I mean, there's the Rubik, uh, the, um, uh, it's a cube. I can't think of the name of it right now, or the Kong, or there's a tricky treat ball. Anything that he has to do to work to get that food out and figure out how to do it. And it keeps his mind busy. Yeah. Now, yeah. I know that Kelly talked about 45-minute walks. The thing is about a walk, when you're working to build up endurance, 
what do you get? You get an athlete who needs more and more and more time walking to wear you out. Yeah, yeah. So she's just, um, a walk doesn't, it's not just about walking him. It's more about keeping his mind busy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if we can keep his mind busy, uh, he's less likely to chew, isn't he? Yes, yeah. <laughs> and on the other side of that, we need management. And if we know that our dog is going to eat up our prized possessions, we're going to pick them up and put them away until yes. we know that he's outgrown that or he's gotten past that. Another thing she might consider is taking him to the vet and making sure that he's, he doesn't have any type of uh, maybe a nutritional deficiency or anything that would, would cause him to want to chew paper mm. and wood. Um, make sure he's getting a, a very nutritious dog food. Uh, because sometimes they're lacking something in their diet that they're looking for in other sources. Um, humans do that too. We, uh, in fact, just the other night I was watching a news uh, broadcast and they were showing a woman who had a secret desire to eat dryer softener sheets. Hmm. I know, right? <laughs> so who knows why that woman had that desire to eat them? But it's, um, whether it was psychological or nutritional, it wouldn't hurt to have her veterinarian check the dog out and make sure that there wasn't some reason that he had for (laughs) a desire to eat paper. It's not unusual for dogs to like to tear up cardboard and paper. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, is it true that they, they find it comforting just the the act of chewing? It's quite a comfort. Absolutely. I can sit and watch, I've got a rat terrier, and I can sit and watch her chew on something and the eyes roll back in the head and it's just like she's in ecstasy. Um, I think it's somewhat therapeutic. And of course I also think, and now I could be wrong, but I think it helps them to exercise their jaws because they are... um, Related, if you will, to wolves. Yes. <laughs> and, in, and, and they descended from these wolves, and, and wolves had to go out and kill their own prey, and they had to tear it apart. So they needed these really strong jaw muscles. So uh, exercising those jaw muscles kept them in shape for ripping apart their prey. Again, I have no, no proof of that. That's just my own theory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I do, I do feel that it's therapeutic for them to chew. Yeah, definitely. They they uh, do seem to get a lot out of it. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so you you sort of think there's. Uh, it sounds like there's three prongs. Sort of put the books out of his reach, mm-hmm. um, work his brain, and sort of um, give him distraction toys. Right, and if she can. Uh... If there's a good positive reinforcement trainer in her area, it would be wonderful to enroll them in some classes. And if not, oh, my goodness, there's so many wonderful books on the market that she could get, Um, anything by uh, Dr. Patricia McConnell. She's got so many training books, and she's just fabulous to uh, anything. If if you can listen to her speak or read one of her books, um, besides for the, you know, the, the, uh, the other end of the leash is another one of her her books. Yeah. Um, They're fabulous. 
And uh, as right now, as a matter of fact, I'm reading uh, the dog Vinci Code. Have you heard of that? Oh, no, no. Yes, that's by John uh, Rogerson, and I think he's from your area. Oh, right. Okay, I'll look him up then. (laughs) Yeah, he's a fabulous, very interesting trainer. And just reading his book, and I've I've learned even new things. Uh, So I think you can never learn too much about dogs. Yeah. Uh, there's always a different perspective and somebody to, he seems to really get inside the head of the dogs and understand maybe what they're trying to communicate back to us. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll look at that. I mean, what what I liked was about sort of, well, not, not liked about Kelly's problem, but about the situation was that she was determined you know, to get get things right for this dog and for her and to sort it out. And then there wasn't the thought of, he's bitten my books, I'm going to get rid of him. Not at all. I felt like she had, had did she love her dog? Yes, yeah. And that she just didn't, and she wants to, she's very interested in keeping him in their home. Yes, yeah. And so I think if she'll just take the time to keep his mind busy, um, She'd have a wonderful, wonderful companion. Yeah, yeah. I'm just actually looking because he's, he's a German Shepherd lab mix, so you've got sort of liveliness from the Labrador and quite a driven dog from the German Shepherd part. Uh-huh, exactly. Yeah. And so um, they're very smart, both breeds. Mm. Very smart. And both of those breeds are very uh, compliant, uh, very... Uh, just wanting to please. Yeah, they yeah. love they yeah. nothing more than to please their humans. Yeah. So she can communicate to Charlie what it is she wants and what it is she doesn't want. <laughs> right. But she, I think she really needs to think more of, instead of how do I discipline my dog, it's, she needs to think more in terms of how can I keep my dog's mind busy. Yes, yeah. Idle hands. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. But you can, yeah. you can see it, can't you, when they have had a good workout, and as you say, not just a walk, but, you know, making the brain work as well. They just want to sort of be a couch potato, don't they, then? Well, you know, it would be nice, but um, they just can't do that. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> and and there, may be, there may come a time when he will. Yes, yeah. And I'm not sure how old he was. I don't, I don't get the feeling that he was... He's maybe um, a young adult dog. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, yes, he's, so, not, he's not a young puppy, is he? But, uh, no, he's not a puppy, but I got the idea he was a young adult and that uh, young adults have a lot, <laughs> uh, with time on their hands or on their paws, uh, yes. can really get into trouble. Yes. Oh, yes. And, <laughs> yeah, and so he's trying to redecorate, I think. <laughs> <laughs> he's a dog with opinions. <laughs> yes, yes. And, uh, but, uh, but, uh, that's, uh, I've been there, done that, and, uh, you have to keep them busy. Yeah. By putting his food in food toys and giving him something to do, spend his time trying to, to figure out how to get his food, he'll be a much better dog. I hope that helps Charlie's problems. To find out more about Judy, you can visit her website, brownsvilledogtrainer.com. And in the next show, Judy will be sharing the remarkable story of Chance, a chocolate Labrador she rescued and who seemed to have huge problems, but who's ended up with a life-changing role. A dog's memory for scents and sounds is better than his visual memory. 
Hello and welcome to the Dogcast Radio News Desk. I'm Nick. Now we all know there's nothing like a tale of an underdog who wins through, and in Los Angeles, a story emerged of a tiny dog who saw off armed robbers. Two men had held up the Ace Smoke Shop, and although the owner was handing over the money, Paco, the resident Chihuahua, had other ideas. He barked, and then he launched himself at the robbers, who promptly fled. Clearly, no one has told Paco that he's a small dog. But this small breed has a big problem because Chihuahuas are the latest breed to fall foul of becoming trendy. It's a sad fact that what comes into fashion can also fall out of fashion, and then the dogs are abandoned in huge numbers. Across California, the tiny dogs are increasingly being found as strays, with the result that there are growing numbers of them in rescue shelters. There are several contributing factors here. One is that backyard breeders, hoping to make easy money, are dumping any dogs they are unable to sell. Secondly, despite the media promoting images of the Chihuahua as being happy to be carried around all day, their feisty nature can turn out to be more than some unprepared owners can cope with. Of course, the problem of strays is a worldwide issue, but in Taipei City, Taiwan, new strategies are being employed to help find homeless dogs new homes. The program is called R2. Which stands for rehome and rework, and is part of the city government's year of animal welfare. The aim is to promote the idea of adopting a dog rather than buying one, thus getting dogs out of shelters and into homes. Also, the city is aiming to find jobs for suitable dogs, with several dogs already having gone to work for the Coast Guard administration officers. Over the past twenty years, the country has brought its stray dog population down from eight hundred ninety thousand to eighty-five thousand, and it's hoped that these developments will continue to help bring the numbers down even further. You probably know by now that Dogcast Radio is not a fan of dogs in pet shops, unless, of course, they're visiting with their owners to stock up on dog food or pick out a new toy. So it's with great interest that we've noticed an unusual policy being implemented in a New York pet shop. The petty puppy has had to ban drunk customers from buying dogs. There have been occasions of intoxicated customers buying a dog one day only to try to return it to the shop the next. Let's hope the new policy puts a stop to this. And finally, in the UK, a dog with an unusual allergy has found an unusual solution. Jacks. Who is an eight-year-old Jack Russell Terrier would lose fur and get sores on his feet if he came into contact with grass. As you can imagine, that was a big problem. But his vet has saved the day by prescribing special canvas medi boots which protect his feet. Now Jacks is able to run wherever he likes once more. In fact, he has become so attached to the boots that he has even taken to sleeping with them in his bed. And on that happy note, until next time, it's goodbye from the Dogcast Radio News Desk. Siberian huskies have been used to herd reindeer in Siberia for three thousand years. Does it matter if you are your dog's owner or his guardian? There's a new campaign in the UK to change the thinking of dog owners to consider themselves as a guardian. Now, I have to say that to me, it really doesn't matter what you refer to yourself as, so long as you try to give your dog the best quality of life you possibly can. But what do you think? You can find out more at www.guardiancampaign.co.uk. 
and I'd be really interested in your views on this. Till next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. By phone from the UK, you can contact us on 0121-288-0922. From the US, you can contact us on our American number, which is 315-849-2022. From any other country, you'll need your international exit code and then 44121-288-0922. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word, Dogcast Radio. By email, you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. What did one flea say to the other flea when they came out of the movies? Shall we walk or take the dog?